Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. That's awesome. Well, wow, today's a good day, hey? It really is. It really is. Um, <clears throat> we know what a missionary is, right? We kind of have an idea of what a missionary is. Uh, it's a person who goes overseas to another culture to proclaim the gospel because they've been called by Jesus to accomplish the Great Commission, which is found in Matthew chapter 28, right? It, the Great Commission says something like, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. We all know, we all know that a missionary is a person who goes overseas to another culture to proclaim the gospel. But is that really what a missionary is? Now, you probably know this already, or maybe you've thought this before, but Jesus wasn't actually talking to classical missionaries in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus was talking to his disciples and to you and me. The proclamation of the gospel is not just for a few classical missionaries. Every follower of Jesus is called to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And while we're happy that some people choose to go overseas, sorry, I just saw somebody they haven't seen for a while. I'm going to try not to look in your little area. Welcome here. Really good to see you guys. Well, we'll talk later. It'll be good. <laughs> That's my little voice inside that just kind of goes off to do something different. All right. Well, while we're happy that some people choose to go overseas, there are ample opportunities for those of us that are right here to be able to spread the gospel, to tell people about Jesus in our own backyard. You and I are actually also called to be on mission with Jesus. Not just people who go overseas, but those of us that are here as well. Going into our parts of the world and making disciples of all nations. And if you and I are meant to be on mission right here where, we're, where we are, then we need to be intentional about how we live our lives. Now, before we send missionaries overseas, before we send them off around to the mission field, uh, we uh, help them to learn the language of the place they're going. We help them to learn the culture of the place that they're going to. And so it should be with the rest of us who are also on mission but staying here in this culture. We need to understand the language and the culture of the people that we are being sent to. So even though we're not going overseas to another land, we still need to study the language and the culture of the people that we are sent to, which are the people in our very own backyard. Well, before we got to the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, there was another passage in Matthew chapter 10. And in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends his disciples out on mission. And they're meant to go to all the little towns and cities all around where Jesus is and proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is near. They drive out evil spirits, they heal every disease and sickness, and they just proclaim Jesus here. And as Jesus sends them out, he says this to them. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. 
Jesus was sending them out with the understanding that they needed their wits about them. They needed to be thinking about what was happening. They needed to be intentional. They needed to be wise. Now, they went out fully trusting in what Jesus was doing in them and through them, but they also went out shrewd as snakes. We need to do the same thing. We need to understand the culture of where we're going Now, Jesus also said in John chapter 17, verse 14, that while we are not of the world, his desire is that we would continue to be in the world, meaning that we're not meant to be of the world like the rest of the people around us in this culture. We're not supposed to bow to the culture that is around us, but we must be in it. We are meant to be like the kingdom of God, which is a different culture altogether, but still here so that we can proclaim the gospel to those who need to hear it in a way that they will understand it. We also see an example of this in Acts chapter 17. Paul goes to the city of Athens, and before he begins to uh, preach or do anything like that, he walks around the city and he, he notices their culture. And in that place, there were idols all over the place. And Paul noticed, noticed these idols and went around trying to understand the culture that he was in. And as he began to preach, he began by saying, I know you're a very religious people. So Paul understood the culture so that the people he was speaking to could understand the proclamation of the gospel. So to proclaim the gospel well, we must understand the culture. And that's one of the reasons why we're going through this shift Series. If you've been with us for a couple of weeks already, we've already done two sermons on shift. This idea of there, there are these seismic shifts happening right now in our culture that are affecting the way that we do Christian mission. So we need to talk about these so we understand what's happening in our culture, in our world. The other reason that we're doing this series is because not only are we trying to understand the culture that's happening in our world, but we need to understand what culture that we are steeped in. And now we might hope that we have a kingdom mentality and have a kingdom culture, and that's really the goal. We need to also understand that this is very much our culture as well. And so we need to critically look at our culture not only to be able to speak to those around us, but to to understand what we believe even and maybe critically think about are we actually believing kingdom culture or are we believing just the culture that's around us? The world is shifting around us at an exponential rate these days. In this shift series, like I said, we're looking at nine different seismic shifts that are affecting Christian mission. And today we're going to be looking at this seismic shift of increasing economic volatility. Now we've got a little video we're going to have you watch in a moment. And uh, the content of the video, what's being spoken in the video, was put together by our district office. They put out this pamphlet on these nine different seismic shifts that are happening. And so the content is our district office's content. Uh, but the, the, what you're watching was put together by our very own administrative assistant, Michelle. Um, and, uh, and the voice is done by one of our own congregations. So listen carefully as you watch and see if you can figure out who the narrator for today is. Let's watch this video together. Increasing economic volatility. The storm may not be over. Numerous indicators strongly suggest global geopolitical and economic volatility is rising, yielding cascading risks in the future. Inflation is at 40-year highs, while central banks are tightening financial conditions, raising interest rates into a recession at a rate of change never seen before. 
Historically, even less aggressive monetary policy has typically resulted in deep and prolonged recessions. And this, while U.S. equity markets are inflated at historical levels with leverage and derivatives in the quadrillions, skyrocketing consumer debt, global supply chains, crashing Asian equity markets, the Russian-Ukrainian war and the European energy crisis ensure such threats will only be exasperated rather than dampened by other regions. Historically, the West has seen a monetary reset approximately once every 80 years, once the macro interest rate cycle grinds to near zero and sovereign monetary system implode. The last such time this happened, the global reserve currency shifted from the British pound sterling to the gold-pegged US dollar in in an attempt to pay for the massive money printing of World War II. A minor monetary recess occurred again in the early 1970s, away from a peg to gold and towards the US petrodollar. Not only is this historically likely, but the World Economic Forum has such monetary reset and beyond as a central and publicly declared goal, only accelerated by the COVID pandemic crisis. We are already seeing global powers vie from their place in the new global reserve currency race, with Russia and China asserting their influence over monetary markets and systems in exchange. It can be argued that massive large-scale wars were fought over such matters. Additionally, the coming economic challenges will be increasingly felt within the church with the continued massive shift in generational giving patterns. Emerging generations do not demonstrate fiscal loyalty to institutions as their predecessors did. With sharply rising inflation rates, mortgage renewals becoming unaffordable for some, and economies entering a recession, giving trends will be further impacted, let alone people's affordability to drive longer distances to church of their choosing. You guys catch who that was? That was best Pastor Nate. That's awesome. <clears throat> now, when we watch something like that, uh, there's the tendency, I think, for us to get a little concerned, right? And uh, it's, this is not meant to be a doom and gloom type of a, a message here, so we're, we're, we're not going that direction. But there is the reality happening around us that the basic living costs are going up. If you're renewing your mortgage anytime soon, I'm sure you've seen the mortgage rate is at an all-time high, like 40-year 40, 40 high which is crazy. If you've been to the grocery store lately, you're probably getting tired of the continued increase in your monthly food budget. And overall, you're likely pinching every penny that you have a little tighter than ever before. Actually, I shouldn't use that phrase. Do you guys know what a penny is? (laughs) About 10 years ago, we got rid of the penny. It was so worthless. It actually cost more to mint a penny than the penny was worth. So we got rid of the penny. So you guys, are, are, you guys are probably pinching your nickels and dimes right now. It's a crazy thing. It's a crazy thing. And I don't want to spend too much time actually looking at the increased economic volatility because we get it. We know it. We understand it. Every time we gas up our vehicle, every time we, we go shopping, every time we, we even just get our, our monthly uh, electricity bills in the mail, we get that things are getting expensive out there. Now, we spent more time in the last two shift sessions uh, talking about artificial intelligence and what's happening there, the disintegration of the West, Uh, but today we're not actually going to focus primarily on our increased economic volatility because that's something we all understand already. 
what I want to spend some time on today is actually answering the question, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about this? I want to propose two solutions for us, which will lead us today and for many of the other cultural things that we're going to be taking a look at. And the, the, the two solutions that we're going to talk about today is number one, do not fear. Do not fear. Number two, respond with a kingdom mentality. Respond with a kingdom mentality. Many of the things that we're going to look at, not just in this shift series, but just as we look around at our culture, many of the things that we talk about, about what's happening around us, have the potential for causing us to have great fear. But one of the most common sentiments expressed in the Bible is this, do not fear. Over and over and over again, God tells us, do not fear. And over and over and over again, God tells us the reason why you are not supposed to fear is because, do you know what it is? I am with you. That's exactly right. Because God is with us. One of the, the, the famous Psalms, Psalm 23, says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you, God, are with me. Joshua 1.9, another famous Bible passage, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. There's another passage of Scripture that Jesus is, is talking to a great crowd of people. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's in the beginning of the, of the Gospel of Matthew. And in that section, Jesus is speaking to the people and he says, Do not worry which is tightly connected to fear, fear and worry. Do not worry. And here's what Jesus says. He says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? In fact, we know now that by worrying, we take hours away from our life. Jesus continues, he says, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow was thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I love how Jesus ends that. Don't worry about tomorrow. you got enough troubles today. Like It's just kind of a funny little way to end this whole section. Don't worry. Don't worry. Jesus says, don't worry. Why? Because your heavenly Father knows your needs. Isn't that good? Don't worry because your heavenly Father knows your needs. So do not fear because God is with you. Do not worry because God is looking out for you. And as we think about these days, these shifts in our culture that we're looking at right now, we must not fear and worry. God has not been taken by surprise. I often imagine, what would it look like if God was surprised by something up on his throne, you know, wringing his hands together going, oh me, oh my. God doesn't do that. He knows what's going on. 
And I don't say this flippantly. I don't say don't fear and, and don't worry flippantly. I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you today. Just this last week, I felt fearful. I felt worry. There was a bunch of stuff that seemed to all land in the same week. A couple of my kids were going through some rough times. A few of my friends and some members of this congregation were having some crises that I was dealing with and walking beside them with. Both of my vehicles went out at the same time. So I had two, both my vehicles were out of commission for a couple of days for different reasons, and we're, we're getting past that now, which is fantastic. And there were two or three other things that just seemed to pop up at the same time that just felt heavy and burdensome that all seemed to hit at the same time. And I felt fearful. I felt worried. I was overwhelmed. And I remember on Monday night, because a lot of this stuff kind of came to a head on, on Monday this last week. I remember Monday night, I, I laid down in bed, got myself ready for bed, laid down in bed, and my eyes were wide open, and my brain was just going a mile a minute. And all the little worries. I don't know if you're... My, my wife, God bless her, falls asleep before her head hits the pillow. It's crazy, right? <laughs> and then she'll wake up in half an hour and she'll be done. She's done. She's slept all of her sleep. But I, I, it takes me forever to fall asleep. And, and when I'm trying to fall asleep, all the little worries bounce around in there. And they, they team up. They, they get together and the two little worries go, hey, let's be your partners. And they team up and they get bigger and they get bigger. And it just kind of seems to roll out of control. And so I got up and I went to my living room and I laid on the couch and I just laid there and I said, okay, Jesus, what are you going to do? What's the plan? And I laid it all out. I said, Jesus, this area is not okay, and, and this area is not okay, and, and this area is not okay. And I went on and on for a little while, and I laid it all out there. And I said, Jesus, there are so many things that are not okay right now. Here's all the stuff that's not okay. And I just laid it in front of Jesus. And you know what? It didn't get fixed right away. In fact, some stuff kept on rolling after that night. But as I met with Jesus face to face that night and I laid it all in front of him and I laid it all at his feet, he began to bring peace in the middle of all of the brokenness. And I began to think, Jesus, I will not fear, for you are with me. Jesus, I will not worry, because you know my needs even before I was aware of them. And I'd love to tell you that, that by today everything became hunky-dory and, it, it, and, and everything was fixed and everything, but it wasn't. There's, there's still stuff that's broiling. And I keep having to bring this stuff back to Jesus as fear and worry continue to try to set up in my life. And every time I feel that fear and that worry begin to come, I'd come, I'd come again to Jesus and I'd place it before his feet again. And I come back to Jesus, and I come back to Jesus, and I come back to Jesus, and I keep continuing to lay it before his feet. Because you know what I'm doing? I am training my soul to bring my fear and my worry to Jesus. I'm training my soul to not run with this, to not take fear and worry and go 10 miles down this way towards fear and worry and get all worked up into a lather. I'm training my soul instead to when fear and worry begins to come that I turn to Jesus. And I turn back to Jesus, and I turn back to Jesus, and I keep going, Jesus, here's the fear and worry, and I'm not going to fear because you're with me, and I'm not going to worry because I know you're looking after my needs, and I'm training my soul to turn back to Jesus. 
Jesus promises in Hebrews chapter 13, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And Jesus promises in Matthew 28, the great commission, where he, he commissions his people to go out into the world and make disciples of all nations. He promises at that space, he says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus also invites us in Matthew chapter 11 to come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So solution number one, as we look out at what may look like a very chaotic culture around us, solution number one is do not fear. Do not fear. Solution number two is to begin to set our mind into a kingdom mentality. Begin to set our mind into a kingdom mentality. In that Matthew 6 passage, where Jesus tells us not to worry about tomorrow, he says this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. In that same section of Scripture, which, like I told you earlier, we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus also lays out for us, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. Do you guys want to know? Here's what the kingdom of God looks like. It, it, and it is upside down. The kingdom of God is upside down. So here's what the kingdom of God looks like. Starting in Matthew chapter 5, the kingdom of God is a place where the, the poor inherit the kingdom, which is upside down. You would think that it's only, like, especially in Jesus' day, but even in our day, we, we think like the, the rich get richer, the, the poor get poor, but in, in the upside down kingdom of God, the poor inherit the kingdom. Those who mourn are comforted. The meek inherit the earth, and those who are persecuted, well, they also get the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is a place where if someone strikes you on the cheek, you're to turn the other cheek to them as well. And if someone takes your tunic, you're to give them your cloak also. What a strange kingdom this is. The kingdom of God is a place where you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The kingdom of God is a place where, where you give to the needy, but you do it on the sly. Where you pray, but you pray in secret. Where you fast, but you, you put on a good face so nobody knows you're fasting. It's a place where you, where you store up your treasures in heaven instead of here on earth. Jesus teaches us a way of, of responding to this out-of-whack world with the upside-down kingdom of God. Paul follows up this teaching. We see the same teaching show up lots in the, the later writings of the New Testament. So here in the Gospels and the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks about this, and it shows up again and again and again throughout the rest of the New Testament. Here's a couple of places it shows up. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12. He says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay evil with evil. And then in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. The kingdom of God invites us to respond in the opposite spirit from the way that the world treats us. When, when negative things come at us, when brokenness comes at us, the kingdom of God invites us to respond in the opposite spirit. We return curses with blessings. We return hatred with love. And on our topic today, the world is responding to increased economic volatility with a poverty mentality. I remember, 
um, at the beginning of the pandemic, because this has been happening. There's been a shift happening for a few years now. I remember March of 2020, my family and I were in Costco. We were doing our normal Monday fun day where we go to Costco and we have hot dogs or, or pizza or something like that. And we were sitting there at the table. And as we're eating, we're watching people leave Costco and everybody's carts are overflowing with toilet paper. And I thought, what in the world is going on? Like something, obviously, I'd not gotten the memo on something. Was there a sale? On toilet paper, what was happening? I, I commented to my children, look at everybody's carts are full of toilet paper. What's going on? Had no idea. Had no idea. So we went and did our normal shopping and went home, and we found out when we got home, there was a crisis. There was a shortage of toilet paper. Not, not, a, not a shortage because there wasn't enough, but because some people had garages full of toilet paper. I don't know what they expected to happen as this pandemic was going on. But people had garages full of toilet paper and, and hand sanitizer and bleach wipes, and you couldn't find that stuff anywhere. And I looked quickly into our little tool room where I, where I keep my extra toilet paper. I'm like, we're down to four rolls. I've got a family of six, and we're down to four rolls. Oh, no, what are we going to do? There was this hoarding that was happening. There's a hoarding that whenever there's increased economic volatility, people hoard. I pulled up behind a guy at the gas station recently here, and he was filling up. He had like 30 jerry cans in the back of his truck. Maybe it was for a great reason. I have no idea, but I'm thinking, like, what, what's going on here? The world responds with fear and worry and hoarding, with greed, with self-preservation. People batten down the hatches, and they just close the gates on their homes, and they just hunker down. Well, what's the opposite of that? We could probably come up with a whole list of opposites. What would be the kingdom of God opposite response to all this stuff? Now, I want to propose to you one thing that I think is broad here. I think radical generosity and selflessness and giving rather than receiving, I think that's the response to all of this. What happens when the church of God rises up, when everybody is, is trying to, to just close in and hoard and, and preserve their own life, what happens when the church of God rises up with radical generosity? It's the opposite, isn't it? Jesus includes stories about money in about a third of his parables. It's crazy. Now, his parables aren't always about money, but money plays a big role in many of his parables. And it's at the center of many of the encounters that Jesus has with people. For some reason, money keeps showing up. And many of the books of the New Testament spend significant amounts of time speaking about money. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Isn't that interesting? There's two specific encounters that I want to talk about. Two opposite encounters that Jesus has that focus in on this idea of, of money and radical generosity. The first is in Mark chapter 10, where Jesus encounters a rich young man. Here's how the story goes. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, 
You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and, when, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. A sad story. A sad story. But I want you to compare it now to its opposite. Another story from Luke 19. Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. I wonder in these two stories. I don't know what the occupation of the first man was, but I wonder if he was well-loved and liked because of his wealth. And now we hear, see another person who is hated and despised because of his position and his wealth. But, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody of any, out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. In the first story, the fact that the, the rich young man would not give his money away led Jesus to say how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then here with Zacchaeus, who was also wealthy, who was rich, the sign that salvation had come to Zacchaeus' house was when Zacchaeus committed to giving his money away. You guys notice he didn't pray a little prayer. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't say, Jesus, your Lord. He showed that Jesus was Lord by his actions. And I'm not saying that everyone should give all their money away. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that, that it seems like radical generosity and the, the lack of the love of money, particularly, is tied to the kingdom of God. Now, now this is specific to the seismic shift that we're talking about today, about this, this, this increased economic volatility. But there are other times when we see difficult seismic shifts in our, in our culture. And the solution that God invites us into is to respond with a kingdom mentality, which often looks very upside down. It's unexpected. When things happen in our culture or to us, and we respond in the opposite spirit. I, I had a, an incident um, recently where the person was expecting me to respond in anger or frustration, and I responded in kindness, and they were blown away. They stuttered almost. They didn't know what to say about what was going on. And I thought, how sad in our culture, 
that the expectation would just be anger. The expectation right away would just be frustration. How would it change things if the church of God rose up and responded in the opposite? In this case here, when we see increasing economic volatility, we respond to the upside-down kingdom mentality of radical generosity. So the two solutions that I proposed earlier, do not fear, is the first one. Do not fear. The second one, respond with a kingdom mentality. I want to tell you a story of what this looks like in, in real life. Our sister Alliance Church in Hinton is pastored by our friend Kevin Nickel. He's from this area. He's a fantastic guy. And their neighbor community of Edson, just recently, you guys may know this, they've just been evacuated because of the fires that are raging down there right now. And just, I think it was just this morning, uh, Kevin's wife, Cheryl, posted a little post uh, to the uh, Western Canadian District of the Christian Missionary Alliance Facebook page. And here's what the post said. Our Hinton Alliance Church family have stepped up and linked arms to care for Edson evacuees. We have about 40 staying in the church and a parking lot full of campers. Food has been flooding in from our church family and also from the community. Our church members are also taking evacuees into their homes overnight and also for showers. It's so incredible to be a part of and to see our church being Jesus to our displaced neighbors. We have one or two guys from our church staying overnight each night in the foyer so we can keep the doors open. Around supper time yesterday, um, Cheryl um, got a, a message. So in, in, this, in this message she posts, she shares this message that she got from one of the members of her congregation. And the member just said this, worship is happening in the corridors. And there's a video up there of people just in the corridor with some guitars and a violin and someone's got a little box drum and there's people up and down the hallway just worshiping. People with, with their pets, their dogs, are in the foyer of the church. There's delicious free food in abundance. Now, some of you will really appreciate this because this is around supper time yesterday. A hockey game broadcast on the main screen of the church is happening. Okay, so we may be evacuated from our homes, but we need to see if the Oilers are going to win or not, right? <laughs> so they're watching the hockey game in the church. Many people are helping. This is the Jesus revolution. This person goes on to say, I expect a powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the service tomorrow, and I am praying for rain. Isn't that good? Cheryl just ends her thought saying, God is good. When the world feels chaotic, fearful, and freaked out, do not fear. Respond with a kingdom mentality. We see here in Hinton how they're responding with radical generosity at play. And I'm hearing about it happening all across in our area as well. There's some people being evacuated who just a bunch of trucks show up on their front lawn, load up some of their valuables and take off to just help them get their stuff safe. Like it's happening. Radical generosity is happening. I was just struck this morning. One of the little girls that came up here, Aubrey, had her rain jacket on. Anybody else bring an umbrella today? How do we respond to our world where things are happening? 
What a moment of faith and the opposite. She shows up with her rain jacket like, I'm ready for the rain. Where could you show radical generosity in our world today? Get the worship team to come on up. I want you to take a moment here and just consider where you could see radical generosity in your world today. I guess we're not having the worship team come up. I'm confused about what's happening. We're going to go into communion. We're going to go into communion. When we think about radical generosity and the upside-down kingdom of God, we're about to celebrate communion, which is the Lord's Supper, which is the, the, the symbolic representation of Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus gathered together with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, and he took some bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is, this is my blood that was, it was poured out for you. What a crazy response to the brokenness of this world. What an upside down idea that the creator would die for his creation. What a crazy idea. If I painted a painting that was in jeopardy of going and being burned, I would not put my life online. I wouldn't even go and try to save the painting. I wouldn't die for the painting. That's a silly idea. But in the upside-down kingdom of God, Jesus shows up in his creation and dies for his creation, for you and me. He responded with the opposite because in the kingdom of God, it's often the opposite, that the creator would die for his creation. And so we're going to share in communion today. I'm going to ask um, Pastor Amy, and, and uh, we had a couple of elders, but I don't see Dave Penner here. So I'm going to ask uh, Nick, would you come and, and help? Um, we're going to serve communion today. So you can, you're going to get it right where you're at. Oh, there he is. Come on up anyways. Come on up. There we go. You guys can come on over here and get ready. Grab the elements. They're going to be passing those around for you. Grab the cracker which represents Christ's body that was broken for you. Grab the juice, which represents Christ's blood that was poured out for you, and just hold on to those together. And once everybody's gotten served, once it's all gone out there, uh, then we'll, uh, we'll all share together. So just hang on to it for now. And then what the, at once everybody's been served and these guys are back up here, we're going to share in it together. But as you're waiting for these elements to be passed around, I want you to seriously consider where can you show radical generosity in your world, today, this week, this month, where can you show the upside-down kingdom of God? So just consider that while these are being passed around. So as we go out from here, I bless you with peace, that you would receive the deep, deep peace of Christ, that you would not fear, that you would not worry, but that you know that God is with you, and that you know that He knows your needs. And I bless you to respond to the things that are happening around you or even within you with the opposite, the kingdom mentality. To be able to see things that others don't see. To be able to know deeply the things of God in a way that you would respond against cursing, you'd respond with blessing. Against hatred, you'd respond with love. Against the lack, you'd respond with the plenty Against all of the concern and fear and hoarding, you would respond with generosity. 
Yeah, I bless you to respond the way Jesus would have you respond and to give you opportunities even today to be able to proclaim the gospel, to be able to tell people about who Jesus is and what he's done for them. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.